listening to the Hooked on Learning Podcast, where we discuss all things related to continuous improvement. And now to your host, Jesse Marka. All right, welcome back to another episode of Hooked on Learning. Uh, we have something special in store today, and I know everybody's waiting in great suspense to find out what that is. And uh, without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, the guest of the day, Mr. Thomas M. Hughes, the fire marshal himself. Prepare to be astonished. Tommy, welcome to today's show. Hi, Jesse. Thanks for having me. Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm glad that you reach out to our listening audience, uh, because after all, what would a podcast be without phone interviews? Very, very true. Yeah. So, guys, I'd like to remind everybody that we have open phone lines at 30447. Feel free to text or call with your question. Uh, Feel free to pick the brain of the marshal himself, uh, as he is live in studio free of all inspections and plan review duties for the day. So, uh, speaking of duties, what we're going to talk about today is the duties of the company officer. Now, all these uh, different job duties and job performance requirements are listed in NFPA 1021. And the categories that are listed in 1021 include human resources management, community and government relations, uh, one, of our, one of our favorite subjects, administration, inspection and investigation, emergency service delivery, and of course, health and safety. So we're going to go through these categories and along the way, uh, Tom Hughes is going to share his expertise um, with all things related to community involvement and uh, inspection investigation, as well as some of the other topics. So as we go forward, um, we're going to go through human resources management first. And again, at any time, feel free to text or call. The lines are open. So when we talk about human resources management, you know, time they say that the most important resource in the fire service are the humans, correct? Absolutely. And I think you'd agree with that. So with that being said, it's, it's the role of the company officer to provide the effective supervision for emergency and non-emergency activities, um, you know, which includes assigning all the tasks around the station, um, all of the chores and the cleaning of the windows and station inspections and apparatus inspections and all the things that come along with that. And, uh, you know, of course, within that, we have to make sure that we're providing the appropriate training at the appropriate time and with the appropriate uh, activities. And part of training is making sure that we adhere to our policies because uh, as a, the company officer, a major part of our, our work is systems implementation and the maintenance, maintenance of the systems that we have. So if we're not administering the policies and procedures efficient, efficiently and equitably, uh, we're missing a, a big part of our job. And um, when we talk about human resources, it's also important that we're acting as the project manager and that we're... Uh, overseeing and responding to and providing any feedback needed for whatever projects that we might be working on. And, um, you know, if we talk about the different things that we may initiate or assist with, uh, Tommy, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on some of the things that the company officer should be assisting with. Well, I believe most of the company officers have had to deal with either personnel transfers or dealing with individual benefits or referring them to the proper um, HR department or an agency within the department, such as the chief, um, awards and commendations for our awards committee. I know uh, that's a large responsibility of the company officers to provide that information and provide them with um, the notification and the information behind the incident uh, for the award ceremony. 
And then, of course, uh, everyone's favorite things, but disciplinary actions. Yeah, truly everybody's favorite. Or any and all labor uh, management type issues. So that's been a push over the last, I would say, 12 to 18 months as we shifted the uh, organizational structure of the departments. And I think there's been a, a stronger focus on the policies and the systems implementation and the management of those systems. I would agree with you. And, uh, you know, the, the personnel transfers one in particular, I think, is, is pretty interesting because I don't know about you, but when I was on shift, a large part of my identity was being on shift and naturally the people I was on shift with. So when I was on A shift, A shift was my identity and B shift, B shift was my identity. C shift, C shift was my identity until Brian traded me back to B shift and then B shift was my ad- identity again. Um, I still look in the C-shift refrigerator because I spent most of my career on C-shift. Um, I didn't realize how negative I'd actually become until I got off of C-shift. Well played. That's uh, The C-shift fridge is a good place, uh, although I found that A-shift food sometimes is more flavorful and uh, is a little bit uh, healthier, especially considering the versatility of cauliflower. Um, and worms. And worms. So true. Um, with that being said, uh, the personnel transfers is one of those really sensitive areas, and you can see as a company officer, you may be put in a difficult position because you may have somebody who requests to go to your shift or somebody who is uh, putting in for a shift transfer, and that I'm sure can be taken several different ways. So that's uh, one of those things that I think as a company officer, you want to maintain the pulse of your uh, shift to make sure that um, all the expectations are being met both on your end and as the shift members end. And I don't know if you have anything to add to that before we move on to one of your favorite areas of community and government relations. I think the one thing with personal transfers is um, specific Norfolk Township is because our organization is uh, the size it is, that yes, you may transfer from shift to shift, but you're going to work overtime or you're going to work a trade and you're going to go back to those shifts. So maintaining those relationships and understanding there's some interpersonal communication components of that that have to be addressed, um, they do follow you. So it's important to um, kind of explore all of your options before you go down that road. Yeah, I would uh, absolutely agree with that, and uh, I think that's a, a great little introduction to human resources management. I know Captain Madzik is uh, working diligently on providing a state-of-the-art human resources uh, introduction for one of our near or one of our very uh, upcoming officer classes. And after reading through the material, I think people will be really happy with that. So uh, the next area we're going to talk about is community and government relations. And uh, community and government relations are so important for us for a variety of reasons, especially being a millage-based organization. Um, and with that, again, phone lines are open. Feel free to call or text. Uh, but if you want to give us maybe a little bit of an update in your role as the fire marshal about our, our current state of community relations. I think historically we've done a pretty decent job of getting out in the community and uh, kind of spreading the message about the department. But a lot of that has been... Um, on an a la carte basis. People call in and ask us to go to a pub ed. Oh, if, actually, if you don't mind, uh, we're going to go to the phone lines. We have our first caller here. Hello, welcome to Hooked on Learning. You are live with Tommy and Jesse. Yes. Uh, hey, my name is Mike. Uh, first time caller, long time listener, though. Uh, from Plymouth over here, uh, just south of the border. Uh, it's a real pleasure to be a part of the show. I've been listening to it for uh, such a long time. Well, uh, welcome to the show. It's uh, it's absolutely a pleasure to have you, Mike, from Plymouth. Do you have a question for us? Uh, I do. 
question is actually for Tom Hughes. Uh, I was wondering, does your department currently have any public education programs in schools uh, in your in your area? Mike, thanks for calling. That's a great question. It's something that uh, we take a lot of pride in. Uh, last year, we implemented our first, the first, at least in recent years, um, elementary education program with Norfolk Public Schools. So we developed the Kindergarten Fire and Life Safety Education Program that was implemented to all kindergartens uh, throughout Norfolk Township, um, all Norfolk Public Schools, I'm sorry, which included Norfolk Township, the City of Norfolk, and Nova. There were 17 total classes and a little over 450 students that were reached with that program. And the goal is to continue that going forward. So it's more of a formalization of um, some existing programs that we may have taught inside the department. Mike, does that answer your question? you have any follow-ups for, for Tommy? Uh, no, that answers, that answers my question perfectly. It's great to hear uh, the public outreach and the education programs are in your area. Well, Mike, if you have any ideas, please don't hesitate to uh, send me an email or give me a call, and I'm happy to, uh, to, to discuss it further with you. I sure will. Thank you for uh, taking my call. Take care. All right. Thanks, Mike. <coughs> Goodbye. So, uh, calling Mike from Plymouth asked a great question in terms of uh, programs that that are currently in partnership with the schools. But if you could maybe, I know we, we got cut off a little bit, if you could just give us a little bit more input on our uh, current efforts as a fire department with public education. Yeah, I think as I was saying, um, we started with kind of some a la carte things where individual calls would come in and we'd send a fire truck out. And that's always going to be part of the fabric of a fire prevention or community education program. And I don't anticipate that will go away. But in recent years, we've tried to formalize some of the programs um, and put some different resources behind them in a little more um, comprehensive approach. So everyone's aware of our, our favorite day of the year, which takes place in October, normally a beautiful Saturday or Sunday afternoon. For the annual fire department open house which is a great opportunity to interact with 1,000 to 1,500 of our uh, neighborhood residents and soccer players and community at large and provide some information about what we do on a daily basis um, as we know working in Norfolk Township there are a variety of uh, service delivery models for fire departments from ALS paid on call full-time and there's a lot of confusion because of the city of Norfolk and Norfolk Township so I think it's important for us to differentiate our message to what we're actually doing and just explain to the community what Norfolk Township is about um, and, and what we do on a daily basis. So I think the open house provides that opportunity. And then the other components, as we talked about, are the uh, kindergarten fire and life safety education program, which will continue um, into 2018. Um, and then the hope is to expand that to a second grade program again, um, starting in uh, the fall of 2018. And then the most recent one was also our CPR program. So. The state passed a law about a year ago or so that required that all students between the ages of 7th and 12th grade were to receive some sort of CPR training. And when I say some sort of CPR training, that's more or less what the state law was written. Um, it doesn't provide a ton of information, and we assisted them in providing um, kind of some more directed messages about hands-only CPR and AED training. Uh, it was put on in the fall and then put on again here in the spring. So that will continue with all health classes into 2018-19 school year. And the hope would be to continue to expand that program and um, provide the community with some more trained personnel. That is peachy. And, uh, you know, one of the interesting things of our organization is being a millage-based operation. You know, our success as our, the success of our organization is directly proportional to our community involvement. So the things that you just mentioned, the events that we just mentioned, um, are absolutely uh, critical for us to make sure that we are 
representing the fire department um, in every single positive way possible. And, you know, one of the other favorite events that we have is Senior Day um, in accordance with um, with the city of Northville and, and Norfolk senior assistance, Norfolk senior assistance. And I know that was just, uh, that was just recently held. And, uh, that is, that's one of my personal favorite. I like the twist and the shout. So both, both good songs and uh, good time. I actually think that's a program that will be expanded on in the future. Seniors. I think we can all, um, understand that we have a growing population of seniors and they make up a large volume of our emergency response from a medical or fire related standpoint. So, um, getting involved with them at an earlier level and not waiting until there's an actual emergency, I think, provides us um, with more bang for our buck. And at the same time, they're also the highest risk group um, from a fire fatality loss. So dealing with the seniors in those type of environments and letting them get familiar with us. I know I believe this year they were, they were called out very quickly, so I don't know that they were there for very long. Um, but it's a, just a good opportunity to interact. And I know it's, once again, one of those days that everyone looks forward to. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And as a community, this kind of plays in that a little bit. It's so important for us as a fire department to understand our demographics and um, the different age groups and ethnicities that represent the community as a whole. And one thing that I think is interesting, we just had a class from the National Fire Academy here uh, last week that talked about some of these things, is the fact that the information we have, the data we have on demographics varies so much between um, the data that you're looking at, whether it's through SEMCOG or... Um, or through the United States Census Bureau. But the, the point in both of them is the community um, does represent different values and organization or different values and um, cultures, and it's important as a department to make sure we are understanding of that and we're doing our best to identify with those cultures. I assume you would agree with that. Yeah, I think you make a great point about identifying the cultures and um, whether it's ethnicity or age or different components along those lines is important to um, analyze your community whether that's through a community risk assessment so you can put proper community risk community risk reduction programs in place um, there are some nfpa standards that we are beginning to work off of and trying to develop some framework for a um, community risk um, awareness program uh, or community risk assessment um, that we'll be hoping to do in 2019 um, to better kind of mirror our resources to the needs of the community so, uh, you know, one of the, I, I say if people get the opportunity to do a couple things in their fire service career, they should. And one of those opportunities is to work on a 40-hour schedule, um, not just from the, um, the, the sleep deprivation standpoint, but also from the angle of seeing things from a different view. And on the administrative side of the station, you know, one of our favorite things to work on is policies and procedures. Um, but, of course, the policies and procedures if they were just worked on on this side of the station, um, wouldn't be as as good it, if they weren't done with the uh, involvement of the people on the other side of the station. And uh, really, honestly, the other side of the station is obviously where these things are playing themselves out. And uh, the guys on the front lines need to be able to, do, to have this information in their hands when they need it. And as the company officer, that means making sure that you can administer these policies and procedures um, the fun ones and the not-so-fun ones. Uh, but part of that is observing over time what works and what doesn't work. Do you have any tips on, on how to handle things, uh, maybe when the policy doesn't seem to make as much sense or uh, to be hitting the mark? 
Well, I think back when I was on shift, um, you know, we talk about policy and, and people would, would mention the word policy, but um, it's been a number of years now, as everyone knows, but we didn't necessarily have any formal procedures. Policies were old. They didn't match how the current department operated. They didn't provide any expectations. So for many years, a lot of people were working in that uh, very, very loose framework. And I think that the push in the last year and even in the next year is going to be creating policy that makes sense, that allows guys, that allows you to have expectations, to set expectations, and to help everyone kind of understand the reasons behind those. I think yeah. that part of it is, you know, policy absent inspection Non-compliance. Non-compliance. And, and truthfully, I, I don't know that I necessarily knew what that meant uh, about a year ago. And I think that really the general gist of it is when you when you realize that you have policies that haven't been reviewed in 10 years and your entire operation has changed, that's a complete organizational failure. And that's something that we're trying to uh, prevent and to improve oh, on. We have another caller here as we move into the inspection it's investigation. A busy afternoon. It is a busy afternoon. Hello, you are uh, live with Hooked on Learning. Who are you talking to today? Oh, yeah. You know, feel free to um, ask Mr. Hughes anything you'd like. Hi, Bill. question and I, I appreciate you taking the time to make that phone call. Um, I think that training coordinator Marcotte a few years ago um, started talking about building construction at a time where we didn't know a lot about it organizationally and in our community I think we understand the value of what that what building construction means. I think a lot of times we're looking at it from a lightweight construction standpoint and how fire travels and collapse and all the other components that you're seeing in NIST studies and all the other kind of the new fire science as it's described. <laughs> Um, but it's a situation where I've learned a lot in building construction. I think it's important to maintain a very close relationship with the building departments. Um, that's something that probably was my first focus. And first off, from an educational standpoint, they provide a lot of background, a lot of information. Um, and they kind of took me under their wing and helped me um, navigate my way through the inspection process and making sure that I had the proper certifications. But I think that at the same time, we've opened their eyes up to a number of things that maybe weren't being caught or that weren't being um, as closely monitored like fire stops and firewalls and then the fire protection systems egress emergency lights um, and all the other components i think they have a better understanding of our side of things so as far as being a new firefighter i can tell you that um, building instruction is incredibly important understanding fire protection systems and how they work um, i'm not sure i actually knew the entire intent of an fdc for the first five or six years that i worked here um, so I think it's it's a growing um, it's a growing circumstance. You know, we're building a new building at Five and Beck right now that is going to be a four-story type five A constructed wood framed hotel, and that's become common in the industry. You're even seeing tall buildings built out of um, completely wood framing. So, it's a it's a great question, Bill. I I appreciate it. one other quick question. Like I said, I'm I'm new to my department, and I've I've heard a bunch of guys. You know, we'll go through some walkthroughs, and, and they talk We're kind of losing a, you, Bill. A, a, an FM 200, I think. I believe, I believe this question is about an FM 200. 
You know, I was I was waiting for this question. Um, so an FM two hundred, Bill. That's a, that's another great question. I know it's a very it's a very hot topic here uh, in Norfolk Township. That and the size of the orifice of the fire suppression system. But an FM two hundred system um, is basically it's a chemical type suppression system that's mostly used in data centers or in a, a lot of cases in our area they use them in. Um, vehicle dyno chambers and basically very expensive testing areas and the intention of those systems are it's a clean agent system and it will not damage uh, whatever the testing components are or the electronics as water would At the same time there normally is a water backup the FM 200s can be activated by either fire eyes or fire wire smoke detection heat detection a variety of other components so it's really a builders choice in most scenarios or an ownership's choice to put that in to prevent any damage um, if there were to be an activation or if there were to be um, an unwanted fire. Oh, I see. I, I really appreciate the help, Mr. Hughes. You're a uh, little and thanks for the education. Bill, it was great talking to you. You have a nice day. You too. All right, take care, Phil. Bill, we hope to hear from you in the future. Thanks a lot. I'll call again. Excellent. Have a good That guy's got a lot of questions. He does lots. No shortage of questions from uh, from Bill and Brighton. That's for sure. Um, you know, sticking with the topic of inspection and investigation, um, when we're talking about identifying types of hazards or um, things that you commonly see, what would you say are the the top hazards um, when you get out into the public, maybe into uh, an existing business? So, actual fire hazards. Or fire hazards. hazards. To us is that what you're? Looking for? Yeah. Uh, well, let's, how about one of each? Um, fire top fire hazards to the occupancy. And then maybe the most common thing you could see that would uh, cause us difficulty in our duties. Sure. I think that we have a lot of advantage in Norfolk Township based on the age of the community. We have a lot of buildings that are suppressed or alarmed, but that by no means does that mean every building is. Um, I think one of the biggest hazards you'll see is just the generalized um, commercial, cake, commercial cooking operations um, that we have in the community. So those are areas that require maintenance every six months. There's um, a number of components that apply to that. And because we did not do inspections for such a long period of time, um, there's a lot of delinquency, so we're working on trying to get those back in hand. Um, a lot of that's just with field inspection, and we actually just implemented a system called uh, iRoll, or Inspection Reports Online. So starting July 15th, all inspection reports that are normally mailed, faxed, uh, emailed, still hand-delivered, will all be required to go through a specific website, this um, iRoll website. And it basically allows, the, when the contractor completes the inspection report, they then have to mark whether there's deficiencies or obvious deficiencies. Um, and I'll be able to log into that system daily, know if there's an issue, and take immediate action. Um, if there is a major deficiency, it actually automatically notifies us. So I still have to review the actual report, but at the same time, it provides kind of a clearinghouse for all that information, and all the contractors will be required to submit that paperwork through that system, um, whether it's on their six-month inspection for their kitchen hoods or their suppre fire suppression or fire alarm system on an annual basis. Um, as far as hazards to the departments, you know, that's um, when I first got into fire prevention, somebody described our position or my position as being kind of packing the parachute of the guys on shift. And um, I take that to, you know, very seriously. I think it's important to provide as much information to the responding crews because truthfully that was information I didn't believe that I had when I was on shift. Um, whether it was knowing basic things like the location of a fire alarm panel or fire department connection or type of suppression or whether it was suppressed. Um, those are things that I've taken a focus to and I'm not as far along as we would like, but um, we're in process of completing all the pre-plans or at least the 
kind of generalized exterior pre-plans and providing that information to the crews. Um, so you know when you're running into a building like Soul Brain that has uh, hazardous materials and processes, um, or if you're going to a bank, or if you're going to Gaucho Steakhouse that has a, a basement that uh, we may not be aware of. So trying to get as much information uh, as possible and get it into our system so that it can be utilized by our crews responding, I think that's, um, that's one of the most important things to me is to be able to provide you guys with that information. I agree, and I like the analogy of packing the parachute because uh, very similar to packing the parachute, it's not the most glorious thing uh, to be done. However, um, when you need it, you need it. And as always, those, uh, those pre-plans can be found in the responder program. So sure, be sure to uh, check in and, and just refamiliarize yourself with everything in there. Um, you know, and speaking of work that does that goes on behind the scenes, uh, fire cause determination and the investigation process as it relates to the company officer. Um, as we're as we're kind of running out of time for today's show, could you maybe share the the top four um, key things for the company officer to do as it relates to fire cause determination? I think the most important thing that everyone's aware of is when I secure the scene. Um, so you want to make sure that you secure the incident scene initially. And of course, from a suppression standpoint, you're going to do the suppression job uh, first. That's going to come before anything else. At the same time, it doesn't mean you, can, you have to do one without the other. You can be doing both kind of simultaneously. Um, the second step of that is preserving evidence. If you uh, go into a situation where you're unaware of what you're walking into, it's either undetermined or an actual possible arson, you want to make sure that we're not causing any more damage than necessary. Um, as a few years ago, I think I blew off every piece of drywall in a, in a garage that was a fire that at the time was deemed suspicious, which actually is not a term for fire cause any longer. Uh, so preserving the evidence is important. And then making sure you interview the witnesses and the emergency personnel. What did they see? I know uh, Jesse, myself, or Brent Mueller a lot of times, when we arrive on those scenes, the first couple questions we're going to ask are to the, to the first guys in. What did you see? What doors were open? Um, you know, what did you hear, hear, see, smell? And then um, the last step is to notify the fire investigator when necessary. So I think a lot of times, the majority of time, we're getting notification, whether it's um, to make a decision from home or if it's a situation where we're going to come in and conduct the investigation. It may be just for documentation purposes. It may be for the actual report purposes. So uh, I would say though those are the four steps that are necessary to, um, from a company officer level for investigation. Excellent. Yeah, and uh, as we kind of segue into the bread and butter of the company officer into emergency services delivery, I think we can see a, a bridge from fire prevention to, um, to fire operations and then back to fire prevention based off of um, what things they may be seeing as, as the fire suppression crews out in the, um, out in the community. So, uh, you know, as the company officer, the, the real important skills to have, obviously, are um, as it relates to the incident command system and performing a very standardized, very consistent and confident initial size up um, using the criteria that's outlined in our operations manual because that really makes sure or allows us to make sure that we're allocating the appropriate resources at the right time to control the incident. And a lot of times if we're, if we're familiar with the occupancy type or we have the opportunity to uh, access the responder program in router shortly after arriving. A lot of those pre-incident activities that you talked about um, become very helpful in us identifying um, potential entry and egress as well as things that may be going on inside of that occupancy type as well as their business hours or contact 
um, information. Well, and that's why I think it's so important for the com company officers or um, even the firefighters on shift to provide that information back to me so I can then either modify how the um, pre-plan looks or modify the information that it carried in it, um, even as far as what's going to be the Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, or Delta side. I think having that information in front of you prior to arrival provides a little bit of, um, helps cut down the decision-making time because you know what you're walking into, um, or you may pick up a key point about a building being sprinkled or a building not being sprinkled in that case. So Yeah, it is amazing how something so simple in terms of Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, Delta, we're always thinking of that being the address side, but we have a, a, a plethora of businesses and occupancies in Norfolk Township that um, are not that way in terms of what we would commonly identify as the main egress point um, is not actually facing the mile road. And it's nice that you've already taken the time to identify those occupancies in the responder program to keep everybody on the same page. This way as that person who's initiating command, whether you're in rescue one or engine one or ladder one or, or uh, some other vehicle, uh, it really allows you to focus on the important pieces, which is um, the incident action plan, the incident safety plan, and those all go back to the incident command system, making sure that one person is in charge from the very beginning and that there's no confusion uh, because obviously we only get the transfer command once up the chain and then once down the chain as the uh, situation de-escalates. So um, the last thing that we're going to talk about today is health and safety. So we, um, this is a major, major, major thing for us and our organization and our safety community does a great job of uh, understanding different needs and uh, resources that are available to us as it relates to our health and safety um, from nutrition to um, the actual hazard mitigation and making sure we have the appropriate equipment and the chief does a great job of that as well. So uh, any tips maybe for the officers in terms of how they could help set the tone as it relates to health and safety? I know earlier when we were talking uh, about FM 200 and some other FM 200s and some other things. Um, one of the things that we were talking about was the importance of applying health and safety standards, not just uh, once in a while, but every day, because that helps us set the tone. Um, and there's a lot of things we could be doing from a health and safety standpoint, from our nutrition to uh, physical fitness and pretty much everything in between to be mentally and physically prepared. And I, I, I think yeah. that applies to PP and a few other things as well. I think that the most important component of that is. Um, kind of to, to act as a role model. And I know that we may not all be in the best shape and we have some guys that are in better shape than others, um, but I think it's important to embrace that and to kind of set the tone for what your expectations are for the people that are working on your shift or on the departments. I would agree. I would say this is one area that probably you and I both excel in in terms of physical fitness. And, uh, and a lot can be learned probably from our daily regimen of exercise and nutrition. Yeah, just basically we just race daily. Yeah, uh, competition is healthy. Yes. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, unfortunately, though, sometimes uh, in this job, both at the station and out of the station, uh, people may become injured um, or even worse. And uh, if I've learned one thing, it's that reporting these situations as soon as possible is uh, absolutely the right thing to do. Um, I know, if, for example, one year uh, you, you were injured uh, more than once, I believe, if memory serves me correct, I believe it was stepping on or off of the truck. If it was, it was, and you know, it was a bad practice. Uh, I think we talk about root cause and surface causes, yeah. and um, you know, I I have very strong angles, but um, you know, I happened to step on some equipment that I put in the wrong place while coming out of the apparatus. 
about a week before my wedding, and I walked around in a uh, walking cast, canceled all my plans to go hiking or surfing while in Hawaii. So um, important things to kind of try to address the root cause of those, and I think that we've done that a couple of times. Um, I think the other component about health and safety is important. I know the department's working on implementing that program now is um, some CISD or some mental health aspects. So I know there's a team of people working to put together a survey recently went out and um, looking forward to the results of that and the information they're going to provide. I think that that's one thing that's been missing in the fire service for a very long time. It's been pushed, whether it's from, uh, I believe it was Chief uh, Kenny, is that correct, Jess, from uh, Chicago? Yes, Chicago? yes, Chief Kenny, um, Pat Kenny. Pat Kenny. So t talking about, you know, from those type of personal issues, we all have personal issues, yet we're expected to come to work and operate for 24 hours under incredibly stressful environments with very little information. And um, I think it's important that we make sure that we foster um, a relationship where we can um, have those discussions or help each other out um, going kind of beyond the general expectations of the organization. Yeah, that's a great point. And uh, we were fortunate enough last week to interview uh, Tommy Walker from Argentina to get a different perspective on that in terms of some of the work and some of the efforts that he is putting in uh, back home in Argentina. And uh, this seems to be a problem that does not discriminate um, in terms of occupations or locations. This is something that affects everybody and affects everybody differently. And because of that, you know, especially as the company officer, it's so important to monitor not only what's going on physically with the people on your ship, but what's going on mentally so you can make sure you can extend that olive branch um, when they need it or when they may need it. And I think it's important to know that you don't have to have all the answers necessarily. You just have to be able to provide, um, you know, provide that person with, with a space to have that conversation and provide them with the resources to get whatever assistance they may need, um, whether that's external programs or other internal programs. So it's not about having all the answers. We don't expect, nobody would expect you to have all the answers, but it's a matter of knowing where to look and to provide that information to them. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, as, as we close things up here, I'd like to thank you for your time and, and taking uh, a few minutes aside out of your very, very busy schedule um, to sit down and chat with us and the callers that have called in. So um, thank you very much for all of your efforts today in this show. Well, I appreciate the opportunity, Jesse, and I look forward to uh, future sessions of Hooked on Learning. Well, thank you. We look forward to working with you, too. Uh, if we could have a, a round of applause, please, for our fire marshal. All right. Well, Tommy, um, that pretty much sums it up for today. And everybody else, we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Hooked on Learning podcast. Until next time, be smart.